Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. We can come together this Sunday morning. We can come together as your church to fellowship, to worship, uh, to have a right perspective, and to be refreshed by your word. We pray that we, we would be refreshed and edified by your word and by the worship and the fellowship. We thank you for your grace and amen. All right, so today's title is You Can Make a Difference and God is Calling You To. Six Ways to Be a Part of Kingdom Advancement. So this message is a bit of a follow-up to the last message I did called Having an Eternal Perspective. And the big takeaway from that message was that we should hold the advancement of God's kingdom as top priority in our lives and that we should be seeking to accomplish as much to advance God's kingdom while we're on earth as possible. That's, that was the whole point of that message for the most of it. And, um, and I want us to continue to understand that deeper. deeper. So the reason I'm doing this follow-up uh, is because I think a number of us tend to not see the potential that we have to actually make a difference for God's kingdom. Um, and that keeps us from being as excited as we would be about it and from being as diligent as we would be about it. So I want to kind of uh, tackle that today. So... Uh, the first section of this message is called Lies We Believe. Um, lies we believe that tend to cause us to think that we really can't do that much for God's kingdom. The first one I want to talk about is the idea, uh, I never succeed at anything. I think this affects um, a lot of people kind of subconsciously, even if they don't realize it. This idea, well, I never do well at this, and I always fail at that, and I, can't, I just can't really do much for God's kingdom because I never succeed at anything. And, um, and I think this affects more people than we would think it does. So there's kind of two things I want people to realize about this idea that, oh, I never succeed at anything or I usually don't succeed at anything. Number one, it's not about succeeding. It's about stewardship. God has called you to do things for the sake of advancing God's kingdom. And it's not about whether or not they make a difference. It's about whether or not you obey God. I want to take a look at Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 7. So, um, you know, chapter 2 of Ezekiel, it's around the start of the book. God is calling Ezekiel to speak to Israel as a prophet, to call them back to repentance. And he says to Ezekiel, And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear you or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. God didn't care whether or not, um, well, God knew the people wouldn't listen, actually. And He's, this is like a theme of the book of Ezekiel, and it's a very important theme. Um, God calls us to the things he calls us to, especially evangelism, whether people listen or not. And God calls us to seek to make a difference and to seek to advance his kingdom, whether we think we'll succeed or not. You know, that's not the important part of it at the end of the day. We're soldiers for Christ, and we'll take a look at that a bit later. But soldiers don't think, oh, I'm not going to go to war. I think I'll die, or I'm not going to go to this part of the battle. I might die. Like, 
We wouldn't have soldiers if that happened. The point of being a soldier is I'm going to do this and succeed or I'm going to die trying, but I refuse to do nothing about it. And we're soldiers for Christ and since you know, advancing his kingdom is why we're on earth and it's the most important thing, we should feel that way about it. Another thing I want to point out, in the parable of the talents, um, I read it frequently in almost every other sermon I do, I feel like, so I'm not going to read it again. But um, Jesus doesn't give an example of a steward who tried and didn't succeed. There's ones that tried and had different degrees of success. Some succeeded a lot, some a little, some maybe not that much, but they still had some success. The ones who didn't succeed, moreover, the ones who got reprimanded were the ones who didn't try at all because they thought, well, I can't do anything with this. The ones who were reprimanded were the ones who didn't try at all. And I also think it's interesting that God doesn't give an example of one who tried but didn't have any level of success at all. And I kind of think part of that is because the things God calls us to, he tends to bless them with some level of success all the time. If God's empowering you, you will have some level of success. God's word does not return void. The second thing I want to say about this idea, um, I never succeeded anything, is you have to realize that it's a lie. So no one ever actually never succeeds at anything. I might feel like it some days, but it's, it's not true. Um, moreover, there's demons that want you to believe that. Like if you've been in a deliverance meeting and there are demons that want people to believe, that want Christians to believe, I never succeeded anything, because they want you to believe that you can't make a difference for God's kingdom. And you need to see that that is a lie. And if you don't start to see that it's a lie, you won't start to overcome it. Second um, thing I want to look at under lies we believe. I'm not called to make a difference. This is something a lot of people subconsciously believe or just outright believe. And um, we will see that it is not true. Um, I forgot to put it in my notes. Can we pull up Matthew 28, 19 and 20? Or 18 through 20. So first let's look at the Great Commission. Example number one. And Jesus came and said to them, this is right before Jesus' ascension, saying to the disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So if Jesus commanded them to make disciples, and he also commanded them to teach those disciples to do everything he commanded them, that means all disciples are to make disciples. It's recursive. It repeats again and again. It applies to everyone, all the way down the chain. So every, the Great Commission applies to all Christians. Secondly, I also want to look at Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 12, uh, also speaking of Christ. And Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. God didn't give them to do the ministry instead of the saints doing it. God gave them to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The ministry is the work of the saints. The Great Commission is the work of the saints. Um, and then I want to look at 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So we are each stewards of God's grace. Everyone has gifts and abilities and potential, especially potential. A lot of us have a lot of potential we don't see. And, uh, and God calls us to be stewards of it, which means he's going to hold us accountable to how we steward it. So you are indeed called to make a difference. And don't let your thoughts tell you that you're not. Uh, last one I want to look at, God can't use me. So I think there's really two reasons we tend to think this, that like, oh, God can't use me. Um, either I've sinned or failed too much, or I'm not competent. So let's look at that first one. I've sinned or failed too much. What you need to realize is God likes to use people who've failed too much or who've sinned too much. So we're just going to look at three of them. Uh, there's Peter. Um, I have his first. Peter was pretty arrogant most of the time. And um, he denied Christ three times. And there's lots of like little stumblings here and there. But God still used Peter to, um, you know, to lead the disciples after he departed. David. David was a major part of the line of Christ and he committed adultery and then murdered someone to cover it up. And then you'd think, well, why was he in the line of Christ? He's not just in the line. He's a major part. Christ is called the son of David. God likes to use people who have failed because the point of the gospel is God's grace. The point of the gospel isn't, well, I'm successful because I didn't fail too much and I didn't sin too much. That's antithetical to the gospel. That's the opposite of the point. And then Paul Paul murdered Christians. And I honestly think that God wouldn't have picked Paul for the role that he did if Paul wasn't a murderer of Christians. God wanted him for that to show the greatness of his grace. And then we have this idea, oh, well, I'm not competent. Guess what? God also likes to use people who aren't competent. <laughs> I'm an example. <laughs> but anyways, let's look at David. 
David killed Goliath when he wasn't a soldier. He was a shepherd. He was the smallest of all his brothers. No one would have picked him as competent to kill a giant, especially without a sword. Gideon. Gideon was chosen as a brave man of valor to lead God's army in Israel um, to set them free. And Gideon was like cowering. Moses. Moses didn't even want to do what God called him to do because he said, well, I can't really speak very well. And you got the wrong guy, God. You messed up. So he, he was fearful and he didn't trust God and he might not have spoken well. I don't know if that was his just being afraid or if he actually didn't. But either way, God used him. And just to like really hit on this point that God uses people who aren't competent, I want to look at um, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7. For God, uh, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So, just to confirm, God purposefully picks weak people to do his bidding to show that the power belongs to him and not to us. So anytime you think, well, I can't evangelize or I couldn't teach or I couldn't disciple someone because I'm you know, too weak, I could never do that, that's the point. All right, so that closes up the lies we believe section. Next thing I want to talk about uh, six ways that each of us can make a difference for God's kingdom. And also, each of these six areas are things all Christians are called to do stuff in. All Christians. Applies to everyone. First one um, is service. Everyone is called to serve. So these are kind of going to have a general pattern, these six things. I'm kind of going to talk about what things you could do, how it could be helpful, and the fact that like anyone could do them. So service, there's tons of things you could do to serve that would make a difference. Um, all churches constantly have needs, have work that needs done. I've got a list. Um, babysitting. We need babysitting as a church. There's very busy uh, couples who, um, who do a lot for the church, and they have multiple kids, and they need babysitting. Or just, they need a date night, and they're not going to get it without someone who can babysit their kids. Cleaning. You know, if nobody cleans, it's just going to become a mess eventually. We, need, we have people who clean the church every week. And it, we're never not going to need more people to clean the church. Uh, worship leading. You know, there's always a need for that. IT stuff and media editing. There's always a need for that. Somebody has to edit the sermons every week, week in and week out. Um, cooking. Cooking needs done every week. And not just cooking in the church. There's people who would be a major blessing to them if you made something for them and brought a meal to their house. Um, 
you know, and there's, there's some things that could be done, but no one's doing them because no one's seen that it's a need or no one's done anything about it. But you could be doing that thing. There's things that I would be doing as, um, that I would cause the IT department to be doing if we had more resources. There, there's more that we would be doing if we had more resources in general as a church. So don't think that it has to be on this list. There's plenty of things that no one is doing that we could do. But anyways, service, something everyone should do. Um, you know, if we didn't have people doing these things, we would cease to function as a church. All churches need this. And we could always use more of it. Like, don't think, well, there's already people doing that. I, it wouldn't be useful for me to help. If you, nothing else, you could help give those people a break. Or you could take over their responsibility and they could do other things they might be more suited to do. That's why I train other people to do the video editing so that I don't have to, so that I can do things no one else is doing. But there's... There's no lack of opportunity to serve. You might, it might not be clear what the opportunity is. You might have to talk to someone about it. You might have to talk to Christiana uh, or Tiffany or myself to get an idea of what could be done. But there is no lack of things to be done. All right. Uh, second area everyone is called to make a difference in. Uh, financial giving. Um, so we all have the ability to support the advancement of the gospel through giving. And there's a number of ways it can make a difference. Through empowering churches, because churches need finances to succeed. We have electricity, and we have it because we pay an electric bill. And without electricity, we wouldn't be doing very much. Um, missionaries. It can make a big difference, especially in other countries where the cost of living is so low. But there's other places where there's um, missionaries who could use Bible training but can't pay for it or can't take time off their work where they work 12 hours a day, six days a week, because they need to do that just to be able to feed their family. That's a major area you can help the gospel advance. You know, Christians in need. There's always Christians in need. One thing that I think is cool, Voice of Martyrs actually has a fund um, that goes to supporting widows and orphans of martyred Christians. You know, there's, there's never going to not be things we could give to that would make a difference. It's never going to go away. Because we'll keep making progress until the fulfillment of God's kingdom. But until then, it's never going to go away always going to be things you could do. And anyone could do this. Anyone can be frugal. Anyone can seek to give more. Anyone can cut down on their spending. Anyone can work more or seek to get a better job. Um, anyone can increase in this. And this makes a difference. Area number three, hospitality. Anyone can be hospitable, and we are all called to be hospitable. You know, everyone needs friends. 
everyone in the church and everyone outside the church needs friends. And this can make a big difference. Like, a, a number of you who've become part of our church and been blessed by it um, started to get to know someone who was hospitable to them. You know, this, it makes a big difference in our church. The Greys have affected a number of people's lives by doing this. The Osbournes have affected another number of people's lives by doing this. Being hospitable makes a difference for kingdom advancement, both inside the church and outside the church. We can't have church community without hospitality, and the church needs to be a community. Moreover, literally anyone can do this. I really hope with this list of things, nobody ever thinks to themselves, oh, I can't be a part of kingdom advancement. You can be a part of kingdom advancement. That's what I want to get across. Fourth one, evangelism. We looked at the Great Commission earlier. Not only can you evangelize, you're called to evangelize if you're a Christian. So um, I kind of break it down into two areas. There's two basic ways to evangelize. You can evangelize to people you know, or you can evangelize to people you don't know. And they're both good options. For, I think everyone... Um, should be seeking to reach out to the people they know, and I think everyone should have a few unbelievers that they regularly reach out to between once a month and once a week and pray for and seek to help them come to know the gospel. Honestly, doing that between once a month and once a week is not a big time commitment, but if we were all reaching out to two or three people, we'd be reaching out to a lot of people. That's the cool thing about being part of God's movement is it's through the church. And if we all just did a little, we'd get a lot done. The body of Christ is a body. If the church doesn't evangelize, the church won't fulfill the Great Commission. So anyone can evangelize, and um, it doesn't have to be complex. You, it can be as simple as telling someone your testimony, even if you're, you feel like your testimony isn't all that deep. I want to look at uh, John 43, no, John 1, verse 43 through 49. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from, from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit, Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, and you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. 
So this is how Nathanael came to know Christ. And, um, and Philip came and told him. I don't think Philip even told him his testimony necessarily. He just says, Nathanael, we found him. Come and see. <laughs> that was all it took. He didn't even believe him at first. He's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then he came and saw. Anyone can evangelize, and anyone can seek to improve at the skill of evangelism. It's something we should all be seeking to do. I'm going to mention this later in this message, but you should have like a written plan of how you plan to improve at evangelism. No Christian should be passive about their growth. Everyone should have a defined plan in their mind of how they plan to grow. And we should have a plan of how we plan to grow on evangelism or what the next steps are for us to improve and to get better. Maybe I have to memorize more scripture. Maybe I need to think through the elements of the gospel. Maybe I just need to practice more. Yeah, um, we should all have a plan for how we plan to grow, honestly, in every area. But especially for evangelism, there's always next steps. You know, growth, it doesn't work out linear because we make backward progress, but growth is linear. And, um, and there's always next steps. And once you hit those next steps, there will be further steps but it's always causing you to be more and more effective. So even though the journey never ends, it's always worth it. And you should know what they are. Maybe it's I need to memorize more scripture. Maybe I need to just practice evangelism more. Maybe I need to think through uh, what the essential elements of the gospel are. But you need to be aggressive about it. You can't be passive about it. You should know what those next steps are, and you should have a plan for how you're going to achieve them. All right, um, point number five, discipleship. So we mentioned it before, Jesus commanded his disciples to disciple others and to command them to do what he commanded them to do. That means we're all called to disciple people. This is how the church moves forward. This is how the church multiplies. This is God's design for kingdom expansion. But, you know, I think this is an area where we have the, the lies we believe and it really affects us. We tend to think, I'm not called to disciple people. I think I already hit on that enough. I'm not going to mention that again. But, um, or I'm not ready to disciple someone. And I don't know that I ever will be. Or I can't disciple someone. I'm still being discipled. So, um, you know that you're called to disciple someone if you're a Christian. We already looked at that. Um, as to the idea that it can be easy to have, well, I'm not mature enough to disciple someone. I, I was reading an article yesterday on like how you know you're ready to disciple someone. It just had three points, and if one of these three points is true, then that's when you know. Uh, number one, if you know someone who isn't being discipled, who wants to grow, who you are a few steps ahead of, 
if you've already grown in the things they're trying to grow in, grow in, and they don't have anyone else helping them, then you could help them if they want to grow. Number two, if you've led someone to Christ, which we should all be doing, if you've led someone to Christ, you should seek to help that person grow as a Christian. And number three, if, um, if the person discipling you is telling you you're ready to disciple someone, go find someone to disciple. And also the idea that, um, well, I can't disciple someone, I'm still being discipled, is like saying, I can't be a parent, I have parents. It's, it's not a very rational argument. <laughs> so, um, so, we should be considering, um, you know, is there someone I could be discipling or who, that I should seek to? And, you know, it's those questions. Do I know someone who isn't being discipled, who um, is hungry, and who I'm a few more steps ahead of in the faith? And if you would like to grow in discipleship, you grow by doing it. You can also go evangelize. And if you simply don't feel like you're mature enough, you know, you can always get more mature, be more aggressive about your growth, have a plan, and study more. All right, area number six, prayer and fasting. I think this is an, a very important and neglected area where anyone can make a big difference for the kingdom. Prayer does things. So things you could pray and fast for. Actually, um, let's look at the verse James five sixteen through 18. Since I really want to hit that point, prayer does things. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Does it say a nature like Christ? A nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So prayer does things, and there's plenty of things to pray for that would make a difference. Um, you know, trials other people are going through. There's always people going through trials that could use prayer. Uh, character growth, you know, overcoming struggles. There's always people who need to grow in character, namely everyone, and with struggles to overcome, everyone. Praying for successful evangelism, miraculous healing, cultural change, people coming to Christ. These are things that praying for makes a real difference in them happening. Prayer is work. You need to understand that. Don't think of prayer as like, well, that one thing I do that kind of contributes, but not really. Let's look at Colossians 4, verse 12. 
So this is, um, this is actually in the slide deck because uh, it's a different translation. This is Colossians 4.12 from the 1995 NASB. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. It's not just, well, he prays for you and that's nice and all. He's sending good sentiments. Like, no, he is laboring earnestly. Let's also look at 2 Corinthians 1.11. Paul to the Corinthians saying, you also must help us by prayer. Prayer helps. Prayer was helping Paul's efforts with the gospel. The Corinthians prayer helped Paul in his efforts with the gospel. Prayer and fasting is labor. It makes a difference. It moves the kingdom forward. It's something we can all do. So uh, we can go back to the list. So here's a list of six things. These are, this is a very basic list. These are things all Christians can do and all Christians are called to do. And, um, but if a person just regularly practiced all six of these things for like the rest of their life, they could accomplish so much for God's kingdom in their life. You can accomplish a lot for God's kingdom and you're called to. Don't think that you're not. Don't think that you can't. Just doing basic work like this day in and day out adds up. Just like finances. No one gets rich overnight and then stays rich. All those people who win the lottery, they blow it. But you get rich by adding up again and again and again. Small steps over time. All right, last section. Applying this in your life. I've got three points for this section. Number one, you, all Christians should desire to do as much for God's kingdom as possible. Again, this is like the whole point of this message. Except I want you to more than desire it, I want you to do something about it. I want you to really have this in your mind and heart and soul every day of your life. If you're a Christian, advancing God's kingdom is literally why you are on earth. Like, when you become a Christian, God could have immediately taken you to his presence and redeemed you from all sin, but he didn't. God left you on earth for however many years you have left, because he wants you to glorify him while on earth, and he wants to use you and your weakness to glorify him. The advancement of God's kingdom is the most important thing happening in history. That should mean something to us. We're stewards to God, and that needs to be top priority. And I, there's some things I wanted to say last week that I decided to wait for this week, but like, 
If you play video games or watch TV four hours a day, I think one hour a day can be fine, but if you do that or scroll on your phone four hours a day, I assure you that you are not seeking to do as much as you can for God's kingdom with your life. I assure you. You could spend that time studying or serving or evangelizing or praying. We all should get rest and have leisure. I'm fine with one hour a day, but if you spend four hours a day watching TV or playing video games or scrolling your phone, you're not seeking to do as much for God's kingdom as you can. If you spend your money on whatever you want without caring about being frugal or getting the best deal, you're not seeking to do as much as you can with your money for God's kingdom. We need to actually apply this. We should have, I like what John Piper calls a wartime mindset. So in his book, Desiring God, he gave an example about a ship that used to be um, a cruise ship. And then uh, during a war, I think it was World War II, it got turned into a battleship. And then uh, it eventually got turned into a museum or something. But, um, but they kept half the ship of what it was when it was a cruise ship and half of it of what it was when it was a battleship. You know, when it was a cruise ship, it was very nice. You know, nice this, nice that, nice everything, king-size bed. When it was a, a warship, you know, instead of one king-size bed per room, 18 bunk beds per room. You know, everything was cheaper because when it's war, when it's life and death, you do whatever you can to get whatever advantage you can. You contribute everything you have to it. I want to look at 2 Timothy 2, 3 and 4. Paul says to Timothy, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. We are soldiers for Christ. This is why we're on earth, to make a difference. Lastly, well, last part of this subpoint, I want to read a quote by C.S. Lewis. This is C.S. Lewis from a sermon, The Weight of Glory. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. God gives us a chance to be a part of the advancement of his kingdom and to be rewarded for it with pleasures that will last forever. But we fool around with TV and video games and Facebook. This is the most important point in this sermon. But moving on to point two of applying this to your life. You need to examine your life in these six areas and see if you're really meeting your potential in them. So I made a little questionnaire. These are just questions for personal reflection, but it's in your bulletin. Um, I apologize for how 
Uh, it's formatted, it doesn't look very pretty, it's very basic, but uh, it's a good questionnaire to help you ask some reflect reflectful questions that will help you to really analyze whether or not you're meeting their potential in these different areas. Six areas. But we can all grow, so you know, if you're not meeting your potential, you know, don't feel bad. Moreover, everyone's potential is expanding as they grow, so really don't feel bad, but be serious about it. You know, God's grace is always there, but be serious about it. And I would encourage you to fill this out and then talk with your discipler about it. But if nothing else, just fill it out for personal reflection and think about it. You don't have to fill it out now, but I would fill it out today. But it is easy to forget about, you know, when you get homework at the 9.30 or the 10.30 to just forget about it. I've done the same thing. So uh, you might want to fill it out, like, right after the sermon ends. Third point of applying this to your life. Like I said earlier, you need to have a plan of how you plan to grow. You should have a plan of how you want to grow in these areas. The number one goal I have when discipling people is actually that they would have their own plan for their own growth. That's the number one goal I have when discipling people is they would, that they would have their own plan for their own growth. And it doesn't have to be their ideas. You should you know, take counsel and get ideas from other people. But the point is it has to be something they take ownership of. I want people to have... Um, a plan that they would continue to readjust and add to without me. I don't want people to be dependent on my growth for their spiritual growth. You need to have your own plan for your own growth because you need to take ownership of it. I want to take a look at Galatians 6, 1 through 5. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another for each one will bear his own load. So I really like this passage because it, it reflects how the church should work. We are to bear one another's loads or to help with it. If anyone's caught in a trespass, restore that person. Bear one another's burdens. But at the end of the day, each one will bear his own load. We're responsible to help each other to grow spiritually. But at the end of the day, you're responsible for your growth. And that's why you should have your own plan for your own growth. Other people are responsible to help, but they are not responsible for growing. You're responsible for growing. Each one will bear their own load. And you should be serious enough to plan on doing things about it. Well, uh, let's get to the conclusion. I just want to summarize by, you know, everyone can make a difference. And um, 
And if you're realizing that you're not making as much of a difference as you could, I like to just say this in every sermon now. Don't feel too bad about it, but you've got to be real about it. God's grace is always there. Don't feel condemned, but be real about it. This is the most important thing happening ever, the expansion of God's kingdom. And if you don't know why, go back and listen to my last sermon called Having an Eternal Perspective. But anyone can make a difference, even if they don't think so, or even if they think, oh, I'm too little, I'm not competent. But I want to look at two more passages that show this point. Let's look at John 6, 1 through 14. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive just a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place, so the men sat down, and the number of, was about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed those to those who were seated. Likewise, also, of the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were all filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments from the five barley loaves that were left over um, by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. The little boy who had the five loaves and two fish, I don't think he went out and woke up that day saying, I better bring these five loaves and two fish. God's going to do something great with them. He was just going about his life with five loaves of bread and two fish. That's not a lot. That's not enough to feed 5,000 people. But God takes what we have and God uses it the way God wants to use it. So even if you think, well, spiritually, I only have five loaves and two fish, God likes to use weak people. We're all weak people, by the way. And, um, and God uses it how he will. Secondly, I want to look at Luke 21, verses 1 through 4. And Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins... And he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they all out of the surplus put into the offering, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. I don't think she expected this, but in a real way, she made a real difference because her example is now known throughout the world. She gave two copper coins that equal a cent. 
is what it says elsewhere, that amount to a cent, not even two cents. But her example made it into the scriptures and has impacted millions of people. So don't tell yourself, I can't make a big difference for God's kingdom. I don't have that much. Remember, you're called to be a steward. It's not your job to think about, will God use this or will God not use it? God told Ezekiel, go preach to these people. They won't listen. Go preach to them anyways. It's not your job to say, I won't make a difference, so I'm not going to try. It's your job to do what God tells you to do. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day, for this time to hear from your word, to gather for fellowship and for worship. We pray that you would bless us to uh, just have a great sense of your grace, your love, your acceptance, and your empowerment, Lord. We pray that we would just be excited about the advancement of your kingdom and the potential that we have to be a part of it, Lord. We pray that that would excite us. We pray that we would every day uh, get out of bed wanting to go to work so that we can make a difference for your kingdom, Lord. We pray that we would have a sense of your grace on our lives, and we thank you for it. Amen.